One of the more humbling or difficult questions I've been asked as a pastor is to name the top five sermons that I've ever heard. Have any of you ever been asked that question? Can you name the top five sermons you've ever heard? And they're probably all sermons I've preached. I can think of a a few preachers who have influenced me, mentors who are gifted communicators. Some of you knew Gary Demarest. Gary is one of them. Uh, Vasco Kechipapa, the the pastor who preached at my installation from Malawi. And I can think of books of historic sermons or historic uh, people who have preached sermons that I've read, books by Bart and, and Bonhoeffer, collections of sermons. But it's really hard to name five individual sermons. It's much easier to think of of times where I was moved to worship, times where I was just kind of overcome with, oh, this this is who we are created to be. And it's not always just about music. It's about much, much more than music, though it includes music. I'm talking about those moments where I couldn't deny God's presence where I I just knew that God was good and and all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, my body was responding to that reality that God is good, that God loves me, that God loves us. Times like when I was in college, when I would gather with other college students at the beach at 6 a.m. to practice Lectio Divina together where we would read through Scripture and, and look for that one word or phrase that spoke to us. Times like what I I felt when Haley and I got married as our friend Danny led a a church full of people with all kinds of different faith backgrounds through the hymn, How Great Thou Art. Times like what I I heard during a a dedication service in a half-completed building in a remote village in Malawi where eight or nine choirs stood up to sing at different times in a language that I didn't understand. Or what I experienced here at WPC after not gathering in person for as long as we did. And there was that moment when we were out on the courtyard on a Monday, Thursday, and I could actually hear other people singing together for the first time in a long time. Those, those moments of worship, they're often referred to as, as thin spaces. Times when the distance between where we sit or where we're standing in the divine, they just seem very small. We've been journeying through the book of Nehemiah together this fall, and we've been on that journey for eight weeks or so, and we're at this place where Nehemiah and his people, I believe, they experience one of those times, one of those spaces that is a thin space. They had spent time planning giving everything, getting everything in order before really beginning the work of rebuilding. Then there was the work itself where everyone, the entire community, pitched in to help out. They resisted all kinds of internal and external pressure along the way, and that that all could have derailed their plan, but it didn't. And finally, as the walls are finished, Nehemiah and Ezra... They, they gather together and they invite their community to come together for a worship service. And I believe that that worship service is one of those, those thin space moments. Picking up at Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27, we read this. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. 
The, the musician also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of Netophathites, of the Netophathites. I should say that all of the people they gathered with have really hard names too. Um, from Beth Gilgal and, and from the area of Geba and Asmavath. And from the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people and gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the Dungate, Hoshesiah, and half the leaders of Judah followed them. Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zerker, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melai, Gilalai, Maai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of, of David, on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshaniah gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hanel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, at the gate of the guard they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their place in the house of God, so did I, together with half the officials as well as with the priests, Elikim, Maasiah, Minimon, Micaiah, Eloni, Zechariah, and Hananiah with their trumpets, and also Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehonam, Malachijah, Elam, and Ezer. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezariah, and on the day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So during our worship service last Sunday, I mentioned that I was completely ready for Halloween to be finished. Someone in our, our family was, was dressed up every day of the week, and I just said, I'm tired of getting dressed up. But, but I knew that our kids would still want to go trick-or-treating Sunday night. And so I wasn't going to be that dad. So I figured we'd, we'd head out early and maybe just go to a few houses and then come home early, have dinner, go to bed. Yeah, right. A friend mentioned that there was a house that we just, we had to check out. And within a, a few steps, I knew what house they were referring to. We walked a couple blocks and, and then, then we saw it in, in the sky, just these green lights shooting to the sky, smoke rising into the air. And we walked closer and closer to the house. And I think every kid who lived in the Conejo Valley was at this house. In front of the house was a full-on set of Scooby-Doo. Now, as a kid who grew up in the 80s, I had to explain who Scooby-Doo was to my kids, but I, I was overjoyed. It made, it made Halloween. It was so much fun. Now, I'm guessing the, the worship service that took place in Jerusalem that we just read about, it, it didn't involve the smoke, smoke, smoke machines or, or lights in the air, but we're told that the sound of rejoicing that took place that day was noticeable from far away. 
I imagine that it was enough for neighbors to say, hey, you have to go check that out. Do you see what is happening over there? The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. The the wall was finished and presumably work around the rest of the city had begun. So it was time, it was time to celebrate. It was, it was time to have a party. They give thanks for the ways that God had been faithful in the past and they look forward to what was on the horizon. Really, that's what we're here to do every time we gather on Sunday morning. The hope is whether we're here in person in our sanctuary or whether we are gathered online with our church community that we come together to give thanks and to dedicate ourselves to live a certain way, to live a certain way in response to what God has done and is doing in our lives. For whatever reason, throughout the the history of of Western Christendom, the the Sunday service has become this, this thing in the church. And don't hear what I'm about to say as I'm, I'm discounting the importance of Sunday morning. Sunday morning is incredibly important. But Sunday morning has become the main event for the church. And really what Sunday morning is supposed to do is prepare us to live out the rest of our week. Following Jesus wherever we are. From, from Monday to Saturday. And so when I think of this celebration that was happening in Jerusalem, it was preparing, it was giving thanks for what God had already done and restoring the walls, but it was also preparing them for what was on the way. So so here, Nehemiah reminds us that gathering for worship, it sets the table for the rest of the week. We don't just follow Jesus for the hour that we're in church on Sunday morning. We're called to do so the rest of the week as well. So first, Nehemiah and the Israelites, they they remind us of the importance of of hitting pause and kind of preparing ourselves for worship. Again, they take a break from the work, from their their duties of rebuilding the city. And and it's a reminder that celebrating together was just important to reforming and reestablishing their identity as the work itself. Now, we're not told exactly how long this break was, but, but the text leads us to believe that it was at least a full day. My guess is probably more. And I don't, I don't know about you, but, but some Sundays when I arrive at church, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And there are other Sundays whew, where I just show up and I've got nothing in the tank. Where I, I just show up and I, I, I think, oh man... I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Usually whatever happens before the church on Sunday morning, before the service, whether I'm I'm prepared or unprepared, whether my sermon was prepped a few days before or whether I was up at 4 a.m. finishing it, it changes how I approach Sunday morning. Am I prepared to be here? And my question for us all is how do you prepare to show up to church. The, the first words of the Bible remind us that God created all that exists with a rhythm in mind. The Sabbath needs to be a part of that rhythm. How do you prepare for Sabbath? Sunday worship reminds us that no matter how busy we think we might be, that we need to prioritize setting a rhythm of rest in worship. So as the Israelites, as they they pause, we're told that that the priests and the Levites, they prepare for worship by purifying themselves. 
and by dividing tasks. Now, I hadn't really thought all that much uh, about what goes into preparing our worship services on Sunday morning until I, I, I kind of thought through this, this text. The reality is there's a lot that goes into this service. It's not like we wake up in the morning and say, okay, here we go. There's, there's preparation that takes place. We have a, a worship planning team that, that outlines the service, that talks through the music, that talks through the liturgy. We have a team who comes in on Saturday and, and cleans up the church to prepare it for Sunday. And then a, a group of folks who arrive early on Sunday to do the same. The, the choir and the praise team, it's not like they just show up and say, hey, we're ready to sing these songs. We're ready to play. They have to rehearse them. They have to practice them. There's elders and deacons who prepare communion. Really, the deacons prepare communion. Again, it takes preparation. The priests and the Levites, they spend time getting themselves ready. What does that look like for us? Have you thought about how you prepare your hearts and your minds, your whole self for worship when you come on Sunday morning? If you haven't thought much about that question, I would invite you to come to church next Sunday a, a little bit early to, to take this time. You, you, may, you may notice that there's these few minutes before I stand up and do the welcome that we have a prelude. That's not just to give Pavel more time to play or practice or, or, or the praise team more time to rehearse. The prelude is intended to be a time where we calm our hearts and we prepare for the worship service that is coming. So I'd invite you, if you haven't thought about that question, to come next week a little early and, and kind of hit pause and get your hearts ready for worship. Now, the bulk of this passage, with all the, the names that are hard to, to, to talk through, that I, I actually butchered a few of them, um, is about those who participate and, and engage in worship. The people didn't just sit idly by, they participated. They were engaged. Some sang on the top of the wall one direction, some went the other direction, and sang there. Some played, played instruments. It's a great reminder that worship isn't supposed to be passive. It's not supposed to be something that we just observe. It's why we're all invited to sing. Why our, our liturgy involves call and response often. It's why you are asked questions during Brooklyn's baptism. It's why during communion you will come forward to receive the elements. Worship is intended to be participatory. And the Israelites respond in worship as they participate by giving thanks and shouting with joy. Their joy, again, was tangible. It was noticed by their neighbors. Now I know in the Presbyterian tradition that... that we're often referred to as the frozen chosen. That, 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 that we're often referred to, you know what, we like things decent and orderly. We like things to fit in this nice box. But I often wonder what it would look like every Sunday if our neighbors started thinking, what in the world is happening in that sanctuary? What, what is going on? So, on the count of three... I'm going to invite you to turn to your neighbor and wake them up and shout. I'm kidding. You don't need to shout. But, but what, 
What does it mean for us to be a people who gather on Sunday morning full of joy? That the psalm that, that Daryl read earlier, the psalm that our, our kids should remember, that we should memorize, shout for joy all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before Him with joyful songs. Do we do that? Are we really a joyful people? And what would it look like for us to gather at church every Sunday in a way that our neighbors had to take notice because it was so joyful. What would that look like? It might be a little uncomfortable for us. It might even feel unnatural at first. Or like something we we can't or shouldn't do every single week. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean we, we can't be a community that exudes joy every time that we gather for worship together. So how does that look for us? How does it look for us, like for us to gather for worship each and every week and, and to come with shouts of joy? What does that look like for us?